coming up on Man Enough. It is so much easier to live from hate than it is to operate from community, love. You have the thousands and the millions by the masses saying it's not fair. I want this. Andrew Tate's right. Trump is right. I'm interested in spaces for healthy disruption. They have to be people that will hold us accountable. I don't mean echo chambers. I mean spaces where you're being challenged, yes. healthy conflict, safety, safety, safety to conflict. do work, which means at the end of it, someone holds me accountable. Being man enough, what does that mean? It's really manly to mess up, admit you're wrong, and then grow. I couldn't accept that I was evil, so maybe I'm broken, but those broken things could be corrected. Intimacy between a father and a son is me just wanting to like put my head in your lap. I love you, son. You haven't called me benevolent sexist, but my experience is women are better. Even if it's a positive, it's still not equality. I don't blame men for that. I just blame the system. This is Man Enough. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Man Enough. We are here, just the three of us, right? It is. We got just me, and we got Liz, and we got Chris <laughs> Rivas. <laughs> Um, no, Justin Baldoni. No. Uh, we miss Justin always, of course. But if Justin's not going to be here and Andy Grammer's not yeah. going to be here because mm-hmm. we've had Andy as our guest host as yeah. well, then we would have no other person but Christopher Rivas. Or Andy Grammer. <laughs> <laughs> as the list goes on. And the 10 other people we called before yeah, yeah, you. Yeah, no, yeah, 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 yeah. You are the host of uh, your podcast, Brown Enough, also the name of your book. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are an artist, our author, of course, a um, man of color. Um, tell us, just like, just give us a little glimpse of who you are. Before all that, I am a New Yorker. I'm from Queens, uh, born and raised. It's the most diverse place in the world. That is, that is actual facts. So I know the beauty and the power and the importance of, of culture and variety and putting it all in one space. I come from many delicious flavors, and I'm grateful for them all. Well, here we are. Um, you know, we, we, what we do is we like to have deep conversations, personal conversations, but with data, of course. Oftentimes we have guests on that share their perspectives, and we learn from them. Hopefully they might learn a thing or two from us. And we try to undefine or redefine what it means to be man enough. Um, and there's a lot with that, right? There's so many other things that come about. Um, race, of course, and sexism, of course, is at you know patriarchy is the, at the root of all this. But also, we want to be better, mm-hmm. just as individuals, so that the whole can be better. And we thought we would have an episode, which is the three of us, and we could just talk about that, what that means to all of us, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I know that one of the things that comes up is safe places. Mm-hmm. You have a problem with that term, I think. Maybe we could hear about that. Start. Um, <laughs> is that safe space problematic? I think uh, I think anything that is used to sell you something is problematic, like authenticity, you know, like anything that's being put in like a brand statement or invest in us because we do this is something you should uh, you should think about or challenge. I'm not saying we don't need safe spaces. I am saying it is often used in branding now, like as a marketing tool. Uh, and that, to me, is dangerous. Mm. So if we do want to talk about safe spaces, like what actually, let's break down safety and let's break down space. Like let's actually consider what it means to be in community, uh, in purpose, and things like that before we get to the word safe space. Mm. Hmm. I hear that. I appreciate that. I also fear that serves as a, distract, as a distraction in semantics. Because I think the term when I hear safe spaces, while I know it's triggering, um, or maybe not triggering, but uh, elicits another thing, um, that the root of it, we're saying, where is a place that we can speak freely and not be judged, not be criticized for our authentic feelings, some that might be accurate, some that are inaccurate, and where can I have that? Mm -hmm. Um, Hopefully, being at home with your parents is a safe space that you can cry and not be ridiculed. Um, that's a safe space. We want it to be. Um, hopefully I can tell you something that's dear to me and have it be safe. So really what we're just saying is where, how do we create those places and spaces for us to do it on a community level 
um, for men to do it, for women to do it, for children, people of color to do it, like places like for for me who has been in 12 step programs, where can I feel safe to say that I've struggled with this Mm -hmm. and not be judged? Mm -hmm. That's ultimately what we're saying. But I do know that there's other thing attached to it, like what you just expressed. But I don't want that to then be that now that becomes the conversation, the words itself versus the idea of what we're trying to create, Mm -hmm. you know. You're listening to the Mad Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Mad Enough Podcast. I do think that the term safe space has been now like oversaturated. And, it, you know, even the term, I think, trigger warning, like trigger warning doesn't really mean anything anymore because everything is supposed to come with a trigger warning. And so it, I, I think that we've lost the meaning of that. You know, I was like on a date uh, a year ago and someone said something that I felt was so offensive. And, you know, the, the person was making a comment about gender theory being taught in, in, to elementary school students mm-hmm. and how, you know, you can be too young to learn about some of this stuff. And at the time, I was like, that is so transphobic. I can't believe I'm on a date with a transphobic person. I'm now in, implicitly involved in this horrible crime, right? Like, I, I, it, and I felt really. You know, I also immediately like shut that person out of my life. I was like, there's no way that we could ever, you know, get along. And now a year later, <laughs> like, I feel like I've, I haven't changed my mind entirely on that position. But I do think that, you know, that my, my sister teaches elementary school students. I have a lot of friends who have kids. And what I'm hearing from a lot of parents, even very progressive parents, is like 90% of the kids are bisexual, like in her class. And it's like 90% of them can't be bisexual. Or maybe they are, but like they're, you know, eight years old. And is that really, I think it's a real question. Like, should we even be using the term cishet white male with kids um, who are six or seven, eight years old, Mm -hmm. who aren't actually like equipped to have some of these conversations. And it's not that we should shelter them. It's not that um, we should teach them the opposite, right? I think we need to teach them the truth, but an acknowledgement, anyway, sorry, this is like the most ADHD share of all time, but it made me reflect on my own inability to tolerate someone who doesn't agree with me. And my entitlement to this idea that somehow I'm not like supposed to come into contact with people who are going to say things that I don't agree with or that are, or, or that are offensive. And I don't think, I don't think we have a right to that. And I think when we walk around thinking we have a right to that, we end up isolating ourselves. And what we're seeing across the board is a, a lot, you know, we, we talk about men and boys being isolated, women too, you know, mm-hmm. one in, I think it's one in four women under the age of 35 who's single hasn't had sex in over three years. Like it's, it's not... You know, you do go like, okay, what's going on here? But at what point does the idea of a safe space create a barrier for us to be in a space uh, altogether mm. Mm. and to be in community with other people and and that by virtue of being in community with other people, you are like accepting that there are going to be people who are different and from you. to be in healthy conflict with other people. Yeah. I guess that's my problem with safe space. I'm more interested in the space. Like this is a space where you can be yourself but also meet other people who are themselves and we can have healthy debate, healthy challenges, healthy conflict. Like when I walk into a coffee shop in Silver Lake and it's full of a bunch of white people, am I safe? Sure. Nothing, no harm's going to happen to me. Am I comfortable? Not always. Mm-hmm. That's not my space, you know, like, but am I safe? Yeah. So technically it's a safe space, right? There's a non-gender bathroom, safe space. Like there are a couple signs up that say Black Lives Matter. Sure, safe space, but really? Mm. Is it my space? No. So I'm, I, I guess when I challenge safe space, which I still do in semantics because they, they, they language, matter. they matter, you know, like space precedes everything and then it's language. It's the semantics. Like I'm interested in spaces for healthy disruption, healthy conflict. You know, I'm, I'm interested in spaces where the egg can be cracked so the, so the baby chick can be born into a new world. Right. Like disruption and conflict allow us to be born into a new world. And those are the spaces I'm more interested in, like nurturing spaces for healthy disruption and healthy conflict. Well, that to me then is what you just described is a safe space. The other one that you had said, if there's a bunch of white people in a coffee shop, technically you're safe. We're not talking about safety in terms of your physical well-being. Right. But if we're talking about conversations, 
then all those things you just mentioned have to be there in order for, for me to be considered a safe space. I need spaces. So I feel like we are talking, you know what I've noticed? I have a tick. I do this a lot. <laughs> Has anybody noticed that? I mean, in between things. You just discovered that? My throat. I mean, no, I've noticed it just recently, like in the last month or so. So I just did it right there. So I feel I safe in this so space right now ticks. to say it. Gosh. Um, I'm, now everyone's going to listen for it. But uh, <clears throat> see right there. <laughs> for me, I believe to the reason why we are doing this podcast and having these discussions right now is not just to like fill the air with words. It's because we want results. We want the world to look different. We want our children, our communities, children, right? Our next generations and of course ours, but we want the world to progress. We want it to be safe and free of judgment and inequalities. So in order to do that, we can't just fight, right? We can't have spaces where people are arguing back and forth and neither one of them are hearing each other. We have to do it in a healthy conflict is what you had said. But I also think they have to be framed and moderated with the spirit that there's framework and parameters. Like, so what is the purpose of this? The purpose is so that we can advance. Not just so that you can just like complain about women or complain about black people or whatever it is. That's not it. I mean, sure, you might have something you gotta get out and you can, you can have a moment. But the purpose of it is to get you from one stage to the next, us from one stage to the next. That has to be to learn. So the safe spaces that I'm involved in with men there's a few men's groups that I'm involved in, mm -hmm. is that we have these parameters very clear. The reason why we're here is for this reason, so that our instruments can then, you know, you, I always use this phrase about, uh, you know, the world is made up of all these different things, the horns and the strings and the percussion and voices and keyboards and all are this stuff. Are you a horn? I'm a keyboard player. You're a keyboard? Sure, but let's call me a horn. What are you? I'm a sitting, just clapping and enjoying clapping, the right. show. So you're part of the choir. <laughs> but sometimes each group needs to get together amongst themselves and practice and work out their kinks. The horns have to like, okay, are you right? Is the reed correctly right? Are we in tune with one another? Mm -hmm. So that we can then come back to the orchestra and share our voice in unison and worked out along with the others. The whole point is to be together. But sometimes we get together by ourselves. And if the purpose of the horns is to get together so that we can outshine the rest of the group and complain about the strings and complain right. about the choir, that's not good. Right. So you have to say, why are we getting together? So that we can be more in tune for the betterment of all. So what's that mission explicitly for these men's groups, for people so the, who are listening sure. so the who men, want to start their own? So for men, which I think we don't do enough of, but how do you find a group of people that you can share? I'm scared. I don't know how to show up exactly because my wife or my girlfriend or my sister or the world expects me to be this, but I also have this. Also, I have trouble with women, mm. and I can't say that. Mm. How can I say that I think women are too this and this and this and this? That might be wrong, my thought, but if I feel it and I don't get to say it, how then can it be addressed? Yeah. So I have to be able to say to people that are trustworthy enough that they're not just gonna like, we're not gonna jump on the bandwagon and just like badmouth women. But I can say, I feel that women have a problem with this or I have a problem with women because of this. And then have a guy say to me, I hear you, I, I, I feel you and I can feel safe. Now, Jamie, why do you feel that way? What is it that's caused you? And how do we get you out of that from here to here? And then we can have a discussion that's rooted in safety that I wasn't judged, how dare you say such a thing? You know, when you say that, that's only perpetuating this and this and this and this, and then I feel shame, and then I get defensive, and then I'm not willing to grow. We need those spaces, and that's what I mean by safe spaces. But they have to be moderated by somebody or people that have true intention of why those safe spaces. It can't just be about getting on the phone. I have a friend that is in a group of white people, and he's an incredible, incredible individual because he's done work that work has been part of him sharing his hangups about black people that he could never say. Because if he said that, he would have been fired, he would have been this, he would have been ostracized, all the stuff, but he had these real thoughts. Where is there a place that he can say that without being the internet or whoever else just saying, how dare you, you're an asshole. Mm -hmm. So he said, I think black people are lazy. Now, has he said that in a group with me and my siblings and my friends? We'd have been like, what the hell? 
but he was able to say that to some other white people. They were like, yeah, I hear you. I feel you. My parents used to think the same thing. My neighborhood thought the same thing. My schools taught me the same thing. Of course, mm. that makes sense. You're wrong. And then he had said, someone said to him, a white person said, name me 10 black people that you know. Can you, do you know 10 black people? He was like, yeah, I know. Which ones of those 10 people are lazy? Which ones do you know? Well, my teacher at such school, is he lazy? No. My mm. doctor is a black person. No. The person that works at the store over here is lazy. So he could not name one person that was lazy, and yet he felt that the people were lazy. So, okay, so your experience is not that they're lazy. Mm. Where do you think they're getting that from? Anyways, he was able to work through it. Mm. And now some years later, he is championing race relations and equality in a way that he never would have been able to had he not been had the freedom and safety to do that. So I think we need those spaces. Uh to be free of judgment without posturing. If a woman's in a group with me sometimes with Ben, you know, I'm gonna like make sure I look good, I'm gonna make sure my eyebrows are mm -hmm. done and you know, I'm pressed up because I wanna look good. Yeah. But if it's you and me, I'm not worried about that as much. So I don't have to posture, I don't have to present in any way except for be vulnerable and honest. And if we don't have those safe spaces, then I don't know if the real work is being done. Mm -hmm. For people who need it, we all need it, but for people who have to work things to work through. You're listening to the Mad Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Mad Enough Podcast. Do you think that's why so many men and young boys are gravitating towards Andrew Tate is that there's not enough safe spaces for men, which in itself is a controversial question? Because I think what you said is so – I've in my relationships with men, the biggest barrier to our intimacy and connection is their own attachment to being a good guy. And – that I know deep down there are some things that feel unacceptable for them to say or um, admit to, and they don't, and I think they're avoiding it. Unless they have a space where they can acknowledge it, move through it, and then move beyond it, it actually stays with them. And then it comes out in all these different ways, you know, maladaptive ways, right, um, that, that, that women feel in relationships with men. And then it ends up ending the relationship instead of, mm. you know, I, I, I think what you're talking about, which is men on men healing, which then improves their relationships with women. Yeah, and, and sorry, man, I know you want to say something. They have to be people that will hold us accountable, though. I don't mean yes. I don't mean echo chambers, but that's what's happening I don't with mean, Andrew yeah, Tate. They're I don't not. mean safe spaces where I can say, yes. "Man, women are blah blah blah," exactly. and then a guy's like, All right, "Right, right," and then another guy says, "Right, right, right," and I feel safe to say that amongst exactly. the guys. Okay, sure, I can feel safe. I mean spaces where you're being challenged, yes. healthy conflict, safety, safe, safety, safety to conflict. do work, which means at the end of it, someone holds me accountable. Mm -hmm. right. Well, right. that seems like a very important the yeah. the, the key point. I think yeah. community and values. Uh, there's a book in the 1920s written by a Spanish writer named Jose Ortega y Gasset. It's called The Rebellion of the Masses. Highly recommend it. Uh, he separates the world into two people. There are masses and minority. Minority has nothing to do with race, race or ethnicity. It's uh, Minority is like if you're a spinal surgeon, you are a minority. You had to go. Not everyone can just go and do spinal surgery. You know, uh, if you're a lawyer, someone say you're a minority, right? You had to do certain study that puts you in the minority and then everyone else is the masses. And he wrote this in the 20. And then he predicted, which I think is social media, he said, and then one day a microphone will come along that will allow the masses to think they are minority. And what the masses will do is they will start to gather around their disagreements more than their agreements. Mm -hmm. Because there is so much more power, and there has been writing and studies about this, and you know we can go to bell hooks and living from love. It is so much easier to live from hate and to gather around our disagreements and what we don't have and what's not fair and what's not right than it is to operate from community, love, higher value systems, softer skills. Men groups are smaller groups you know but then you have the thousands and the millions by the masses saying it's not fair i want this andrew tate's right trump is right these are right these alt rights are right we're we're gathering around around our hates around our disagreements around what we're saying is unfair and so hmm. i think about communities i think about value systems what do we really value as a society you know and i always love that jamie you the first time i was on here you were like <laughs> All right, but what's the action? What are we doing? What's the thing? What's the actionable thing? That's how you open this, right? Actionable things. And so is an actionable thing, and I think about this in terms of the planet even, right? Like 
is an actionable thing. Like we're all just going to separate into smaller and smaller communities until we can learn to come back and be a whole. Like, is that what it is? Just more and more smaller, smaller communities of shared value systems. Mm. Mm-hmm. We need more and more men's group, women's groups. And then maybe one woman's group meets a man's group and they make a, you know, mm-hmm. a new group. And then we just, we do that. I think it's both. Mm. I think we always need to have them. Mm-hmm. We're always going to be, the garden is always going to have different flowers in the garden. We mm-hmm. never want the flowers to be one garden. We don't want to be mm-hmm. one red rose. It's always going to be different. And each one require a little bit of different water and fertilizer and care. Mm. The purpose is to have this beautiful garden where all of them are flourishing and all are equal and beautiful. But we never, we don't want to conflate that with like, I always talk about equality is not sameness. We don't want the flowers to be the same. We want them right. to be different. We want to be th- flowers of one garden, all blooming. But in order to do so, there will be times when you're going to have to give different care to the red rose versus to the yellow lily mm-hmm. or the such and such, right? And maybe those are those groups sometimes so that we can make sure we're, mm-hmm. we're applying the love and care that each one needs so that the whole garden can flourish. Right. So it's both. I think. Right. And that, like, again, just in our data, even with our friends, right? If they are, my tick is right. <sighs> By the way, I say right all the time. Because I look for, I want you to agree with me before I, I take a risk and continue with my thought. Because I'm. She said her tick yeah, is tick. right. She I'm says right. Your oh, your tick is right. The word I'm right. Asking you to cur- right? Right? Oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> well, because that's a, something that you had talked about before also that women, what, we, yes. what women do well is they acknowledge. And confirm things you're saying, yes. and men don't do it as much. Right. So you were looking yes. for that, and yes. I have failed. No, well, I also I think with not say. I think with right in association with people who say right or you know, uh, in association to safe spaces is I think even more than safety, what we want is to be seen. And when we are truly seen, we are safe. Like, and I think that's what's ha- every every example you described was someone seeing someone without judgment, without consequence. Like, I see you. That's what they're saying. I see you. Let's talk about it. You know, and so when we say right, whether it's a tick or it's, it's like, do you see me? Right? Mm. Yeah. You right. know? Right? You see me, right? Please. Because that's all we all want is to be seen. Mm-hmm. Well, Man with that, what, what did you want to be seen <sighs> so about? So many things. I already forgot my point. But, <laughs> but, but I will pivot because my sister wrote a children's book. She just wrote a children's book. Um, it's her first book. My, my sister teaches uh, elementary school students um, socio-emotional learning. And so her entire career is devoted to helping children uh, understand themselves, understand each other, and work through conflict. And the book is about... Uh, my grandparents came to Canada as refugees, and so it's all about a new child that's at a that's at a or a child that's at a new school coming from a, a war torn country and is not being accepted, and and all the other you know kids are actually you know I, I mean what's interesting is that it's not humans, it's animals, mm-hmm. and she chose to make it about a wolf. In mm-hmm. stories about kids, often the wolf is the villain and the bad guy, and so the other kids have heard all these stories about wolves, and so they're reverberating it back to this, you know, little wolf that is new at the school. And we see, and and it's really a story about how to resolve conflict. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that she really embedded in that story that she's told me is something that she really experiences all the time with children in, 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 in schools is that they, even when using certain slurs, which are homophobic, uh, right, using the F word and being sort of caught, right, doing that, once they do sit down with the child, very often they do not even know what that means. Like they are not, right, we assign intent to the person based on what we know and our level of knowledge and what we would do when like this is a different person from you. And... It's not to say that anyone who's using homophobic slurs shouldn't be, again, held accountable. And even in that moment, like it's not about not holding the child accountable, but actually being curious about why they use that word. Where did they hear that? What it right? What is going on? And one of the things that she really has taught me so much is to also understand that in any kind of conflict, it's not just, first of all, like we often just go to the victim, right? We go to the child that's being bullied and we, you know, focus our attention on them rightfully so. We want to provide safety and empathy um, for for someone who's been a, a victim of anything. But then there's the perpetrator, right? And 
if we actually want to change as a society, we actually need to devote equal attention. <laughs> or even maybe in certain instances, some people have to devote more attention to the perpetrator and trying to understand what they did. And then there's also it's it's there's also the third person, which is the witness. Very often, um, there are there is a witness or many witnesses to any kind of you know uh, conflict, and they're also going through something too as a result of it. And I think about it a lot in the current culture that we're in. Again, where there's a lot of shouting, there's a lot of you know whatever you want to call it, cancel culture, mob mentality, and we're witnessing that. Mm-hmm. Like the, even what if if you've never been quote unquote canceled, just the mere sort of um, fact that you're witnessing so much of it in 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 big and small ways, right? Like whether it's a celebrity on social media that you're seeing, or even you know in 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 your own life, like that also has impacts on on us. And so I guess my point, you know, again coming back to safe spaces and it's like or learning how to have conflict, like learning that it's like it's normal, not just normal, but like. If you're disagreeing, it means you're having a conversation. And it mm-hmm. means you're probably also actually seeing each other. And my favorite conversations on our show and with between us, I mean, you you're me? new, so, you know, watch out. But, like, I feel like the growth that we've had mm-hmm. to, together and separately mm-hmm. um, as a result of our conflict and our openness to conflict, and I say this all the time, so, but I really, because I, I talk about it all the time to even my friends and whatnot, like, I'm like, everything that I feel, I say on air, and they keep it. Like, they keep it in, and they take it in, and they respond, and we have a conversation, and that's why it works. Like, we grow, every time we've had conflict, we've grown from it. Mm. And I think that, but it's it's scary to do. It's easier to just be like, I'm just going to bottle it up. I'm going to complain about it to someone else, and I'm just not going to bring it up. And and I actually think, you know, this is something that I think particularly women need to work on. Like, we don't want to be inconvenient. We don't want to, um, you know, we want to be perfect. White women, oh, my God. Like, Jesus. Like, so much of the obstacle to, to I think, growth when it comes to anti-racism work for white women is like – clinging to this idea that you're a good girl and that you're a good white woman and that you're different when it's like no like it <laughs> you're not amen to you're different because i know that you know like mm-hmm. i know those people i'm different like that's those such a are, scary that's such a scary two yeah. words like but no but i'm different uh-huh. i mean that's right there with i got a black friend <laughs> like it's right it's right there with that. What, what do they what when you hear that like what does that what do those people do that's like so so unsettling or, or again like because I, I think people don't necessarily get this and I only really got it once it happened to me with men where I was like oh I, I do this and I'm unsafe uh, when I have that mentality so I'm just like if you can share I think it's there okay so the I follow this thing called uh, engaged Buddhism we talked about that a little bit one of the tenets is that you must engage with suffering on a daily basis that's part of it. You have to engage with suffering. And one of the dangers with social media to me is that it's too easy to fall into your own vacuum. Like you, you're constantly fed yourself. Mm-hmm. You're fed the algorithm of yourself. Right. So you're fed your, your preacher. You're fed your goodness. You're fed your I'm different. You're uh... fed your Black Lives Matter signs. What would it look like to be fed something else, to engage with the suffering, to not say you're different, but to actually live and embrace other people's existence, engage with it on a daily basis. Don't talk about it. Hmm. Be about it. Right. And so if you have a black, you know, I have a black friend and I'm different to me are very similar in the sense of saying like, uh, I know I, 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 I marched, you know. So I'm I'm good. Mm-hmm. Like they're constantly looking for the pass. No, show up, show up to the places, engage with it on a daily basis. But not to take, not to say you're different, just right. to be there, mm. be in it. Mm-hmm. Love that. Uh, <clears throat> see. <clears throat> <laughs> I need to find mine. If y'all figure it out, like, yeah. let me know. Oh, There's something that you had said, or everything that's being said, which I'd love to point out, which is 
there's all these traumas happening throughout the world, conversations. And um, we know Joy DeGruy, actually, Dr. Joy DeGruy shares this a lot about trauma and how it works. It's obvious if something happens to a person, if, you're get, if you get shot, you have trauma. If I'm the one who shot you, I have trauma, right? And oftentimes, if you got shot and were scared, you're going to talk to someone about it and work through it. I'm the one who shot you. There's consequences. I talk through it. I'm forced to have conversations, okay? But we're not the only ones. What about the people that witnessed it, right? So now someone witnesses it, was not hurt themselves, but now they have trauma. Yeah. But most of the time, the people that witness don't have a conversation about it. They don't go to therapy about it. They just bottle it up. They don't think they were affected. They then treat their children differently. Oh, like, be careful, don't go outside, you might get shot, whatever. So now that their children have trauma or, or uh, mm. are affected by the fact that I witnessed something, I... so my child is raised differently because of what I witnessed. Yeah. So unless everybody is engaged in conversation all the time. Yeah, you just and... made me think of my pops. So, like, is that right? Mm. Oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? I've, I've never heard of this. I know trauma from, like, Body Keeps the Score, he says it's a thing you can't, you can't leave. It stays in you, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have to be able to leave the experience. And so thinking about not the the person who did the action, the person who received the action, but the witness, mm -hmm. and then how that's handed down to the child. Mm -hmm. Like for so long, my father has carried so much Latino machismo negativity. You know, don't tell anyone your good news. Don't do, right? Believing in so much of this old school mentality that I had to fight for so long to say, you're wrong. Like, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. But now hearing this, I'm like, oh, no. Hmm. You're just a witness of horrible things, and you never got to talk about it with anyone. Mm -hmm. It's wild. We, it's so wild, and we're doing that all the time. Yeah. Boys are witnessing the way women are treated, or uh, and maybe their parents aren't necessarily it, but it's on social media, it's in the world, it's such and such, we're witness to it. Well, I'm not engaged, I don't treat women badly, I don't do this, I'm not actually the perpetrator. Um, but you're witnessing all this stuff in dialogue. And then if, unless you're in conversation about it, you then store what mm -hmm. you store, then you treat other people accordingly, you raise your children accordingly, all this stuff. So we have to be mindful, I believe, in having not just the conversations of those that are experiencing suffering yeah. directly, but everyone, because we're all witnessing everything yeah. every day. Mm, we're the all power of the witness. The mm. power of the witness. The power of the witness. Oof. You're listening to the Mad Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Mad Enough Podcast. And there's a thing, too, with algorithms, like because you mentioned it. it it's a strange idea that, first of all, and my again, props to my sister who teaches me everything about emotions. She often, because so, sometimes I'll have a lot of bad reactions to something I post. I know it happens on our account on Mad Enough. It happens to anyone who's, you know, sort of posts a lot. And... My sister was like, you never know the state, the emotional state of the person when they posted the thing. And you also never know the emotional state of the person when they see the thing. And when you think about something like an algorithm that's like, boom, boom, like throwing at you everything from, yeah, a, a deep kind of analysis of trauma, of a, a, of a deeply traumatized person about, you know, and, and giving giving you all of that intensity to like a reunification between a, a man and his mom because he's been in prison for 20 years and like the trauma and seeing that, you know, beautiful moment, but also this tragedy to then a Jordan Pearson clip about, you know, women should wear makeup at work. And I, it, it is strange that we are kind of purviewed to so much. And sometimes I feel like some of these conversations that we're coming into, particularly when it comes to gender equality or inequality, Julia Fox in an interview talked about how she's not dating men anymore. She's not having sex or dating men anymore. And, um, you know, because of basically you, I'm paraphrasing, but something to the effect of, you know, there's no difference between a wife and a prostitute. And, you know, I, and then all the, a bunch wow. of comments, woohoo, you go girl. Like, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a stance. Yeah. It's definitely a, a, a position and. One that you agree with? Well, I personally don't agree with that. I, I don't feel, I mean. Also, this, she's saying being a prostitute is a bad thing? 
I mean, and a, I'm like both of them, both a wife and a prostitute to me deserve our respect. Yeah. Like, like I think that's the, that's my, you know, uh, headline on that. I do think this is part of a, of a larger trend within a lot of women online and just women in general of like giving up on men and, and giving up on intimacy and giving up on relationships. We're seeing it in the data around homeownership. We're seeing it with women, you know, choosing to freeze their eggs and to build a family on their own. And we're seeing it with sex rates uh, of just like men and women going down. And so I think that there's, again, I think it's a, as a result of isolation. I think it's, again, it's part of, of this larger trend of people just reverting back to what feels safe mm. and conflating, I think, safety with something else. But then I also have compassion for her. If I'm going to approach it from a compassionate perspective, I'm like, I don't know what happened to her that day. You know, she used to be a, dom a dominatrix, do dominatrix and was a, a, basically a sex worker. I, I don't know what happened to her for her to say that. When I saw it, I received it in a way that I was like, this is so much and this is so extreme and like, I don't agree with this. But then on another day where, you know, I'm, I'm, I had, there's a lot of sexual violence trauma, uh, uh, history in, in, in my family, like where that's, um, activated, like maybe I would receive her post in a different way. I think social media creates this, you know, we know it's a barrage of information and we know like there's way too much coming at us, but it's also like an emotional slot machine. There, I think there's no such thing as a safe space on the internet because the algorithm is deciding what's coming at you and the algorithm doesn't know how you're feeling that day. It doesn't know that your dad just died and it's going to show you, right, like yeah, that's something that's, uh, or it doesn't know that you're actually in a great mood and it'll show you negative stuff and you're like, okay, all of a sudden I'm feeling morose. So anyway, algorithms are scary. <laughs> All the more to give emphasis to the word witness, right? Like we need to be more conscious of what we're witnessing and what we're choosing not to witness, right? Like what are you engaging with on a daily basis that is not your choice, algorithm? What are you engaging with on a daily basis that is your choice? Right. What literature are you taking in? Who are you hanging out with? Mm -hmm. right. What spaces are you walking into? I'm just right. like, I'm really caught up on this witness word right now. Mm. Yeah. What we witness specifically on our show which is called Mad Enough. And the purpose of it is to talk about, we don't like to use the word toxic masculinity because I don't believe in that, but I do believe that we can use masculinity in a toxic way. We have to be able to have those conversations. I won't use these terms safe spaces with you anymore, <laughs> but to do it safely, whatever that means, so we can talk about all of this stuff so that my son, who's 20, and is putting it all together, and he's a fantastic young man, but still putting it together. Like yeah. when I was 20, you know, like who I am today, I had the basic makeup of who I was, but I've grown so much, so will he. But I want him to walk through the world um, more right than I was. I want him to be more aligned with caring about the whole and caring about all of us. And then therefore he does the work on himself and he mm -hmm. constantly is reevaluating and you know, bringing himself to account each day so that he can reflect and be different tomorrow. By the way, let me say this one thing too. I have always considered myself to be generally someone that is safe to speak to. Yeah. And for the first time in my life, I'm being challenged because there are some feelings with some people that don't feel that I'm safe. Oh. I don't mean physically. I don't mean right. like nothing like that. I don't mean that. And it's breaking my heart because I care about that so much because I've been so good at it, I think, because other people have said I'm good at it, because other people call me to, to go and handle situations because I can do it in a safe way. And there's a situation where right now I'm dealing with, oh, wait, this, this, this group doesn't feel safe. Mm. Now, one, it's my ego. Like, damn it, I thought I was good at it. But also more than that, it's like I, I, I want to be that. So I've had to reflect, like, what have I done? What haven't I done? How can I be better? I don't know why I went on that tangent right now other than to say, like, we're never, we've never arrived. Like, mm -hmm. as good as... I might think I do one thing. We've never arrived. All it takes is one little left turn, and you know, now you're not perceived as that, or you didn't do that as well. Yeah. Um, so as men, w my son is never going to arrive. It's a right. daily, mm -hmm. daily diligence yeah. to be better. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so that we can be safe for ourselves and for others and for you, Liz. Mm. Uh, are your sons in the same type of groups you're in, these men's groups? My son is 20. My other son is almost seven. Um, so no. But yes, my oldest son is. S- same, yes. He is, he is um, well-versed in having um, open dialogue and conversation with other men. For listeners, how do they cultivate these groups or how do they find them or start them or you're in multiple so what's the what's the process well there i believe that they are grassroots they're not like one you look up on the internet and then go there to me that's not a safe uh, i mean that's not true there are 12-step programs that i've been involved in that are safe and you can look those up but safe meaning okay chris you have friends i do and you call them and be like all right look on monday nights for the next month I know we all have stuff to work through. I'm drunken through stuff. Eight o'clock, my house, let's um, have some pizza or whatever it is we eat. And instead of watching a game or playing this or doing that, we're gonna have an hour of just talking about what's on our hearts and mind in the spirit of like uh, masculinity or racism or marriage or whatever it is that you know you might think. And, and I would bet most of those friends would show up. And then, the one that you didn't think had anything is like, here's you share something. It's like, oh, you know, I was thinking about that too. Mm. And that becomes safe because it's organic and it's grassroots. And then they grow. And then you do that every Monday for a month. And then David, your friend David, will be like, hey, can I bring my friend Scott? Because that this last month has been really great. That's how I think they're built. Those are the ones that I'm involved in. Um, some intimate ones and some larger ones that have grown in that way where an individual who cares about change initiates it and does it. And what are the rules? What are the like big, ba- for people who big are rules. starting, yeah, big rules of engagement. This cannot be a, a place where you just perpetuate and have people that are like-minded just to bash on other people. That's, yeah. that's, that's, that doesn't do anything. Yeah. So that to me is not the safe space. Safe space is where can I share my truth mm-hmm. without posturing, mm-hmm. have someone hold the space for that, and then also the parameters are where's the goal? The goal is to be better. If this is a men's group, we want to be better men. Well, what are those things to be better men? Let's point them out. And then that's our roadmap. So we can be honest. You can say what you need to so long as that everything is framed at the end of the day to get here. Mm-hmm. Though that's, that's just generally the rule. Mm-hmm. And we're not just going to like, you're not going to talk about your wife and I'm going to jump back on, on you and your wife. But you can tell me, my wife is pissing me off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll be like, I hear you. My wife doesn't understand that I such and such, such and such, and I think she's wrong, and she expects me to do this and this and this, and I'll be like, yeah, I feel you. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now, I'm, but I'm not, we're not right. all going to jump on that and right. then say, oh, your wife's blah, yes. blah, blah, blah. Poor Jesus, you. Poor yes. you. It's right. like, oh, I feel you. Fully understand what you're yes. feeling. Me too sometimes, man. So, yeah. But how is that working out for you? And mm-hmm. how is that working out for her? And let's look at the bigger picture. And how do we get you from this stage to the next? And just... Honest conversations get us there. But we have to hold each other accountable yeah. and have some rules that, that where, where's the benchmark? What are you right. trying to get to? I'm hearing shared intimacy. Like, shared intimacy. I that's like what that I'm term. hearing. A lot of, you know, the space to share, which is, you know, we have a lot to share that we often keep to ourselves. And then intimacy is, that's intimate. You know, that's intimacy with other men. It's like these groups can provide us a place to, to practice and expand our, our intimacy muscles. You know, like that it's that it's so much more than the one on one that it can, you know, it can be a, it can be a group setting among your peers, among people you don't even know sometimes uh, to, to flex this intimacy muscle and to strengthen it uh, and to soften it all at the same time. That's what I'm hearing. Shared mm-hmm. intimacy. I love that. Yeah. Shared intimacy. And that like truth without accountability is not truth. Right. Like or, or it's just enabling. Exactly. It's just enabling. Like even in the ethos of a 12-step program, it is about, you know, um, talking again. There, there could be people pissing you off or a thing that's external to you that is creating problems for you. But it always comes back to you, right? Mm-hmm. Like what am I going to do? And it's not a – I think this is the distinction that I know it took me a while to understand. It's not a, bl- a self-blame. Right to to take responsibility. If, if if something's happening to you and you're and and again, I think this is a real thing for women, where they are they go through something with a guy and the guy clearly has like done something wrong or done something hurtful or harmful and they're hurt. I feel like a lot of women 
listen to each other and be like, oh my God, he's such a dick. And like, you're so amazing. And like, let's go get ice cream. Right. And that's helpful. <laughs> like I'm, and I'm, I'm saying that's like better than like not talking about it to anybody. But I think that the next, if the next stage of healing is realizing like, and this is going to be controversial, but like there are no victims, just volunteers. And like, how have you volunteered to be in this situation? What part are you playing? And it's not, and and that sounds like I'm victim blaming, but it's actually not. Mm -hmm. It's like, what thing, is that working for you? And what can we change? Because we can't change the other person. That will keep you locked into codependency for years. To be invested in their behavior and be focused on their behavior instead of yours is a great recipe for misery. And so I think that that accountability part for men is huge. And I think for women is is just as important mm -hmm. um, so that you don't end up just being like, you know, again, Julie Fox can do whatever she wants. But like the, the like I'm never going to date men again ever again. Like when my friend says that to me, like I want to, you know, go deeper into that. And mm -hmm. like, is that really will that really make you? And maybe it will. But I don't know. I got a great a great skill from a couple's counselor we saw and she said uh sometimes you need to ask the question do you just want to be heard or do you want solutions yeah right and it makes such a difference do you just want to be heard or do you want to talk about this mm -hmm. and engage in it and sometimes you just you do want yes. to just be heard yeah and that's, that's it true. and it's like cool I, I I got I get I, yeah let's get ice cream yeah I'm with you yeah. we have get ice cream we have some rules with my, so my I have a couple of friends that have gotten divorced recently and we have there's about ten of us guys that gather around them okay and the rules are this we get together you get one session or one talk to talk about your struggles with your wife after that we don't want to hear anything about her it's only got to be about you you get one you get it out. And by the way, she's our friend too, so you can't throw under the... You, you right. can say the truth. <laughs> right. But you're not going to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm protecting her too. Yeah. Right. So, but I want you to feel safe to share it. But after that, every other conversation is, I need you to spend 100% of your time on your 20% or your 80%, whatever it is. But we're not going to do that anymore. Yeah. Right. So be heard that. and then um, Ugh, result. Coming in with the rules. Shared intimacy. Shared intimacy. I love it. Um, I think we're running out of time here, but you were going to read a poem, weren't you? Oh. Do you want to close us out with this close poem? It. This is my favorite poem. Mm. I think it I think it fits these conversations. I mean, look, I might read this and you're gonna want to talk about it for another 20 minutes. Oh. It's pretty good. These poems, she said, by Robert Bringhurst. These poems, these poems. These poems, she said, are poems with no love in them. These are the poems of a man who would leave his wife and his child because they made noise in his study. These are the poems of a man who would murder his mother to claim the inheritance. These are the poems of a man like Plato, she said, meaning something I did not comprehend but which nevertheless offended me. These are the poems of a man who would rather sleep with himself than with women, she said. These are the poems of a man with eyes like a draw knife, with hands like pickpockets' hands, woven of water and logic and hunger, with no strand of love in them. These poems are heartless as birdsong, as unmeant as elm leaves, which, if they love, love only the wide blue sky and the air and the idea of an elm leaf. Self-love is an ending, she said, not a beginning. Love means love of the thing sung, not of the song or the singing. These poems, she said, you are, he said, beautiful. That is not love, she said rightly. That is not love. Wow. Wow. We need a whole episode on that. Wow. I've been, I've been <laughs> sent, I love it. I've been reading that poem for like 10 years. Wow. Well, that makes sense. It explains yeah. it in part of why you are who you who are you because are. you've been reading this. That's part of your DNA. Damn. Oftentimes, before I identified myself as anything i was an artist art before brown man before anything before writer before chris even before dominican before new york i'm an artist i sacrificed everything to be an artist and eyes like a draw knife a man you know who would kill someone for the inheritance we take and we take and we take for this definition of who we are uh and when I think of manliness and in this space 
we take and we take and we take to, to build our manliness. I'm, I'm this kind of man. I'm this kind of man. No, or I'm, I'm different. Mm-hmm. Eyes like a draw knife. I'm different. Look what I did. I'm different. That's not love. That's not intimacy. That's not showing up in the world. That's writing a poem that has no heart in it. It's trying to get the next hit or the next light, like on social media or the next piece of art. It's, it's, it's looking at, at everything to gain something from it. Like the world becomes your teacher. The world becomes something you take from versus something you give to mm. versus something you engage with. And if you want a life with love in it, you have to show up and engage with it, not just take from it. So that's why I've been reading that poem for 10 years. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful answer. Beautiful reason. Um, all right. Well, this has been fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> listen, those of you who like what you're listening to, uh, hopefully there's more than a <laughs> than don't. You like our ticks. You like Come our ticks. Come back for more. Mm-hmm. Those ones and things, we'd love to have you back. Um, please take care of those around you. Mm-hmm. Um, this is controversial, I believe, more than even yourself. Be- that's what I believe. Mm, we're going to go deep that's into a, that's that. That's a host episode. Why is that controversial? Yeah, well, because, you know, yeah. people like No, I know, I know. Much, yeah, that's, that's a good um, one. <laughs> and, um, and follow us on um, all the places you can follow us like Spotify and Apple and yes, manenough.com slash podcast YouTube um, get Liz's book For the Love of Men um, what's your book called again? Brown Enough yes. Brown, yes. Brown, Brown Enough that's right listen yeah, to his Chris's podcast book, yeah, Liz's Brown book. Enough yes, listen to Brown Justin's Enough book, yeah, Justin's book here. get yes. all the books all the books except mine <laughs> forthcoming yeah, yeah right um, it has been a pleasure um, we'll see you next time I'm Jamie Heath I'm Liz Plank and Christopher Rivas and this is Man Enough Thank you for listening to the Man Enough Podcast, produced by Wayfair Studios and presented by Procter & Gamble in partnership with Cadence 13, an Odyssey company. Hosted by Justin Baldoni, Liz Plank, and me, Jamie Heath. If you like what you heard, please follow us and tune in weekly as we undefine masculinity and learn in real time. Justin Baldoni, Jamie Heath, and Tara Maholtra Feinberg from Wayfair Studios, Mark Pritchard and Anna Southfeld from Procter & Gamble, and Chris Corcoran from Cadence 13 are our executive producers. Kayla Nicholson is our producer, Ashmi Elizabeth Dang is head of marketing, and Susie Landers O'Connell is our lead editor. Thanks for listening. <laughs>